Amen. Well, it's great to be uh, back together, all together. Last week we had um, the Sutton Coalfield service, and so about 40, uh, 40 people were up there for that, and that was a great time up in Sutton Coalfield. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so we're, we're carrying on through the book of Luke. Um, we uh, have been going through it for some time, before I got here, so I don't know exactly how long, but, but we're halfway. We're in Luke chapter 12, we're so close. Um, and, uh, and just so, if you're wondering, if um, you've been seeing like bits of like skin around the place, or if you've seen me peeling, or Nick peeling, we have not got some sort of weird disease. It's just the aftermath of the sunburn from uh, Mount Snowden. Um, but we are okay. Uh, and yeah, so if you want to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 12, and we'll jump straight into it today. Um, and, and so we're basically, we're, we're flowing on from where Forrest left off last week, uh, with this, the parable of the rich fool, and do not worry, and, and just, he, this is basically a big, one train of thought. And he gets to this part in Luke chapter 12, um, and there's a lot in here. Um, and I don't, I don't know about you guys, but... I don't know if this has ever happened to you before, but, but where you maybe thought like, okay, it's been 2,000 years now. Jesus, surely you would have come back by now. And, and sometimes some doubt can start to seep in, like, is this ever going to happen? And it can be easy to, to start to wrestle with some of those doubts. And to even let those doubts fester and go to places that we don't want them to go. And so here we see really Jesus, in a sense, tackle a lot of those sorts of thoughts. Um, but it is, and for us, I think it's so important to go to God's Word, to make sure that we don't just stuff those doubts away, but actually bring them out and let God's Word challenge them. And now, if that's not you, maybe for you it's, it's more tempting to, to think... Well, it's been 2,000 years, maybe it might be another 2,000 years, I've got plenty of time, plenty of time, look, this is just a season of my life, I just might sit back, take it easy, focus on the bank account, focus on the house, focus on the this, and, and we step back and we think, I'll sort that other stuff out, that spiritual stuff, later. None of you guys have ever had any thoughts like that though, right? No, no. But, but we can have those thoughts. We can have those thoughts. And, and this is, I've heard this idea described, which I like this description, as the garage door opening theology. This idea, if, not many people have garage doors here, but if you have a garage door, you know that when you open, especially if it's electric, it makes a noise. And people inside the house know or someone is coming in. And now this is a very handy thing if you're a teenager. Yes. And I use this many times where I'd be at home, there was a bunch of work that I needed to get done. I was not doing that work, I was on the PlayStation, I don't know, too. And the garage door. Do, 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 do. And oh no, they're back. <laughs> and okay, let me let me at least do something or be in the act of doing something so they see that I wow. And in the same way we can sometimes have this thought with God. That that there'll be this garage door moment of, oh no, God's coming back, let me get in order some things. 
But what we're going to read today is, is that no, in fact, there is no such thing as a garage door theology. And because if you're like me, with, without the garage door, sometimes Tia may text me, maybe she's out, I've gotten home, and she'll be like, hey, there's a bunch of things to get done, and, and I should be doing them. But instead, I'm sitting there playing FIFA. Mm-hmm. Back in Sydney, in my parents' home, we had a garage door. I was sweet. I could, I could fake it. Here I can't. The car silently pulls up. The door opens. Surprise, surprise, got you. The jig is up. And so there's no faking it. In the same way with God, there'll be no garage door moment. And, and this is our natural human tendency in all sorts of areas. That we want to wait till the last minute. The students don't know what I'm talking about. They don't procrastinate or anything like that. But, um, but we, we wait till the last minute till you really need to do whatever you need to do. And so, and so Jesus knows that and says, okay, well, it's not gonna be, I'm not going to give you that opportunity to give in to that simple side. And so the, the title of our lesson today is Dressed and Ready. See that cool effect? I'm trying to get a little fancier. And we're starting in Luke chapter 12, verse 35 to 59. So if you want to turn your Bibles there. Dressed and ready. It says, Be dressed and ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Lord answered, who then is faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions, but suppose the servant says to himself, "Ah, my master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers." The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Basically, who, who are you speaking to? Well, yeah, you guys, you guys are, uh, in a sense, the leaders to be passing on this message. But then he says, but everyone. Yeah, you guys are, are going to be held extra responsible, but everyone it will be held responsible. And then uh, continuing on in verse 49, he says, I've come to bring fire on, on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint 
I am under until it is completed. Do you think I come to bring on the earth? Do you, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourself what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge. And the judge turn you over to the officer. And the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Amen. It's a, it's a great scripture. It's an intense scripture. Um, and it's a, there's so much here. Again, Jesus starts off and he gives this parable, right, of, of this, this master who's at a wedding banquet and his servants are at home and... And he starts off and he he says, Be dressed, ready for service, keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. And and you may, if 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 you're a bit older, if you're the uh, more aged generation, I don't know, anyway, if you're a bit older, you may know, you may know some of the old, some of the older English. And you may have read some of the older translations which say, Gird your loins. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that before? Yeah. It's a phrase that's commonly used today. Um, but to gird your loins is to be dressed and ready. And it looks a little, little like this. How to gird up your loins. So you've got your long dress and, and normally they actually didn't wear a belt. They'd put the belt on and then they would tie it up and they would tie it and they'd put it between their legs and... And it kind of looks like a, a nappy at this point. And then, then, then it says, finally, with your two handfuls of material together, you're all set for both battle and some hard labour. Go forth, uh, be ye men, and gird up your loins. This is what he's saying to do. To gird your loins. Be dressed and ready. Because back in Middle Eastern culture, their, their long robes would, would almost touch the ground. And in the hot climate, you didn't want tight-fitting clothes. You wanted loose clothes. Um, and it's the same in Fiji as well. They, they have one of the uh, traditional dress wear that uh, the brothers and wear to church is called a sulu. And it's like almost like a little dress, but it, it's, it helps in the, the hot a lot. And in the same way, you don't want tight-fitting clothes when it's hot. But if you've ever tried to do any activity without like a belt before, and you've had loose pants... It's not easy to do. Imagine trying to do some hard labour in a full-on dress. And so, to gird up your loins was to be ready for service. To be ready to go. To be ready to travel. To be ready. So when Jesus is is saying here to be dressed and ready, it's to be fully prepared to carry out our orders from our Master. Our Father. And then he also says, keep your lamps burning. Now again, if you have uh, ever 
lived anywhere or been somewhere for an extended period of time with no electricity, mm-hmm. you, you will know what it's like to try and light a lamp at night. You can't do it. It's dark. You need to have lit the lamp and keep it burning. Be ready. Be ready. And in this parable, the, the master is away at a wedding banquet. Um, and, and the English translation, the one that we have, uh, says it like this. It says, like servants waiting for their master to return from the wedding. That's how the English translations generally translate it. Uh, however, the, um, the Arabic and Syriac translations over the last few centuries translate the Koine Greek words like servants who are expecting their master who will withdraw from the wedding banquet. And you may think, what's the difference? I'll tell you. The difference is waiting versus expecting. We read this and it says, the servants are waiting. And waiting can kind of be a bit passive. I'm waiting for the bus or waiting for my parents to come home and get me into trouble. And I don't want that to happen. Expecting it denotes a certain level of excitement, of uh, eagerness. And so, again, there's a little added difference there. And then the other bit of difference between the English and the uh, Arabic and Syriac is, is return versus withdrawal. For the master to return from the wedding is, the wedding's over, time to go home. To withdraw from the wedding is, the wedding's still pumping but, but I'm going to leave early. I'm going to leave the wedding early. And, and so here we, we get this idea of that, that, that Jesus is talking about the master, not just, oh, the wedding's over, let me go back, but, but he chooses to withdraw, to leave. That he's slipping out as everyone is still there. And this adds a bit of depth, as, as you'll hopefully see, that... Um, and, and, and carrying on, the master gets there and he knocks on the door, it says. Now again, Middle Eastern culture, very unusual. You, an owner doesn't knock on their door. Even friends don't. And even if you recall some of the other verses through the Bible, the person who comes at night and calls out to your name, you, a call out was to say, hey, it's, it's me. It's safe. A knock on the door was like, could it be danger? And here we have the owner, the master, knocking on the door. And again, why not? Why not call? Well, it's late at night, but but maybe he wants to see, are, are you awake and ready to hear the, the knock on the door? Are you eagerly expecting the arrival of their master? And then what the master does next is unbelievable. In our translation, it calls them servants, and, and that's the Greek word uh, doulos, which is a little more intense than just servant. It's like a bond servant or a slave. And so these were, like, in the chain of servants, these were, like, the very bottom. And here, here he comes, and he doesn't just come and early and surprise them, or he comes and he waits on them. He comes and and he ties up his festive wedding garments, ready for action. And to their amazement, he serves them. He, he asked them to recline at the table. And then he waits on them, and to recline at the table was to eat. But then you start thinking, okay, well, what are they eating? Because their master's been at a wedding banquet, 
He's going to come back full. They wouldn't have prepared food. There's no logical reason for that. But the master serves them somewhat right away. Where did this food come from? The wedding banquet. That as the, the master's withdrawing, he is packing away lavish feast from the wedding banquet and bringing it to his slaves. The slaves he loves like his own children. And you think, what a scene this is. That this is, this is the image of heaven. That on the last day when, when God comes back and finds his servants, us, expecting his return, ready for it, he, he will come and serve us. And we can't even really quite picture that. That he will bring the most lavish food and serve us. What a glorious day that will be. What a glorious day that will be. Why should we be eagerly expecting and waiting for that return? Because of that. That's how amazing it will be. And so with that in the the forefront of your minds, I have two quick points for you today. The first one is... should come up for his return dressed and ready for his return again in, in verse 39 it, it says but understand this if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming he would not have let his house be broken into you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him this idea this image that's throughout the bible as well that the thief will come in the night that you will have no chances to, oh, quickly let me, God's coming, let me get things in order. No, no, you will not expect it. So be dressed and ready for his return. And his return is something that we know is going to happen. We just don't know when. We don't know when. And, it, and it's kind of like uh, giving birth. When someone's pregnant, you, you know that that person's going to give birth. But you don't know exactly when. Now, does the the mother does she uh, start to get a little bored? Maybe forget that she's pregnant. Does she lack any of the joy that comes? No, it's it's this eager anticipation of I actually don't know when, but but I know it, it will happen. And it's in the same way with with Jesus. We don't know when, but we know it will happen. And it's that edge of our seat, eager anticipation for his coming. And for those of us who who are disciples of Jesus, who maybe haven't repented and been baptized yet, this can kind of be a little scary. I know it was for me. The return of Jesus. Are you dressed and ready for his return? Are you studying the Bible? If not, start. And if you are, are you eager to? Is it something not that, well, okay, I guess I'll do it. Is it something you go after? The person saying the Bible, you shouldn't have to. Hey, when you, you're the one who should be so eager. Are you dressed and ready? In verse uh, 54 to 59... He talks about interpreting the times and he said to the crowd, when you see the cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain and it does. He talks about the wind blowing and it'll be hot. And he's kind of saying, you guys actually do a good job of predicting the weather. 
And recently, the weather's been pretty amazing here, and they've done a pretty good job of predicting it. Mm-hmm. And he's going to say, you guys do it. And back then, it would have been way harder. They didn't have all the satellites and everything, but, but they did a good job. But he says, and yet, you can't predict that Jesus will return at some point. You, you miss what's really important. He says, there'll be no excuse. If you can do that, you can know that I will return at some point point. There'll be no excuse. I, I didn't know. I wasn't sure. There'll be no excuse. Be dressed and ready because he is coming. Whether you like it or not. Whether you believe it or not. He is coming. And for those of us who are disciples, uh, are we dressed and ready for his return? Or have we begun to slacken off? A little? The, the phrase... Be dressed and ready. Even better translated is stay dressed and ready. That, that how you were at first. Yeah. Stay that way. Go, go back to that way. Are we dressed and ready like we were when we first made Jesus Lord of our life? Again, we, we can't be like that servant in verse 45. Who says, but suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming, and then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, to eat and to drink and to get drunk. What a horrific picture this is. And, and we would, okay, I would never do that, but are we dressed and ready spiritually for his return? Are we serving God the way we should? Or does he get our sloppy seconds? Sloppy third, sloppy fourth. Does he get anything? Are, are we looking out and helping one another in this room? As as the family that we are? Or, or are we focused on, I'm, I'm going to take care of myself for this season of my life. And, and we get so focused on this world. Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Are we making excuses for mess going on in our lives? I know I have. Where I've got a bunch of hurts in my life right now. You don't understand what I'm going through. We've all, all felt like that at times. Back off. When, I'm, when, I'm, when I manage to get a bit of the courage, I'll deal with it. Amen, but be dressed and ready. Don't wait. We don't know when he will return. Are we sharing our faith as we first did? So desperately wanting others to be at that feast. Church, we need to take an honest look and say, what will God find when he returns? What will God find when he returns? Am I dressed and ready? Jesus will return. Are we living our lives for that amazing moment, that feast that will be for those who are ready? And secondly, and finally, we need to be dressed and ready for... His peace. For his peace. Jesus goes on in, in verse 49 and, and he talks about, I've come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it was already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo. And, and he talks about how, how anxious he is about that. Obviously, the crucifixion is in his sight. Um, Do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. And he talks about how this family is divided and and it's a very unusual verse to read. Because we know, as we read the Bible, we know Jesus as the Prince of Peace. 
And that's a very true fact. And we say, okay, but now, if we took a little survey before I'd read that, and said, did Jesus come to bring peace? We all said, yes, of course. Of course he came to bring peace. And, and he, he did come to bring peace. But maybe just not the peace that they're thinking of. That he says, no, but division. And, and again, it's, it's not an issue with Jesus or Jesus' view on peace, but our view on peace. That we so often have the worldly view of peace. That, and even some families can be like this, just this, let's just ignore the fact that there are issues, mm-hmm. stick our head in the sand, and let there be peace. <laughs> and it seems good for a bit, but it always comes bubbling back to the surface. Yeah. Or, or maybe it's, it's please mum and dad, just don't hassle me for right now. Let me just, let me just do my thing. Let me just go to school, come back, play PlayStation, and I'll be a good, obedient child. Just give me some peace. And for Marys, for the men, it might be, well, as long as my wife is maybe willing to be intimate with me, then amen, I don't care what else happens. Peace. For the wives, maybe it's, you can do whatever you want, honey, as long as you don't ask any questions about the credit card. Maybe it's reverse. Maybe they're just stereotypical. I'm not trying to label any. But, but nonetheless, the way the world goes about peace is very different to the way God goes about peace. And here Jesus provides a, a complete picture. And, and, and we'll have a look at a couple of scriptures here. But in John chapter 14, uh, verse 27, it says, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I did not give it to you as the world does. It's a different type of peace. And then in John 16 verse 33, I've told you these things so that you may, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And he's, he's all about peace. Just not the peace that they're thinking of. And, and how does he bring this peace? Not by some easy peasy road of no resistance that the world expects. No. Because in between these two verses is John 15 verse 18, which says, If the world hates me, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Sandwiched in between these two images of peace, that it will not be easy following me. It will not be easy. Jesus is saying, you want peace in this world on your own terms, then go ahead and compromise. The world will give you the high five, the embrace, you'll have lots of friends, but you won't have peace. Being dressed and ready for service, holding to your convictions, going up to the peace that Jesus actually wants to give us, that will bring you into some conflicts. That will bring division at some point. Again, the world wants this type of peace, even with the view of, of Christianity or religion, this tolerance of ideas. And amen, we need to tolerate one another, love one another, bear with one another, but there's a truth out there. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. A dividing statement. There's always temptation to have peace in this world by compromising our faith. 
But we need to go after peace that comes from being with Jesus. Being dressed and ready. Now there's a, a famous, I'm assuming you guys all know this guy, I didn't know him until recently, but there's a famous British Prime Minister called uh, Neville Chamberlain. Yeah. You guys know him? No. No? Okay, cool. I'm glad some of you guys know him. So he was, he was a guy who uh, was Prime Minister sort of right uh, during sort of the World War and, and all that. And, um, and he, he's quoted as saying, so he, what he did was he, he went over to Germany and they held kind of like peace treaties, basically. And they signed some documents and and he came back and he said, the Prime Minister has quoted, we regard this agreement we've signed, so he signed it with Herr Hitler, um, we, we regard this agreement signed last night that, and the Anglo-German naval agreement as symbolic of the desire of two peoples never to go to war with one another again. And he comes back and goes, my good friends, for the second time in our history, a British Prime Minister has returned from Germany bringing peace with honour. I believe it is peace for our time. We thank you from the bottom of our heart to go home and get a nice, quiet sleep. Now, if you know who this guy is, you know that within a couple of months, uh, Germany and Bay Poland and all of Europe brought into war. This was a whitewashed peace. A peace that, okay, we see the troops coming, we see the tanks coming, but maybe we can start to see favour and everything be good. And this is what we sometimes want to do with our sin and conflict. We just say, let's just ignore the fact. Let's just agree to disagree. Let's just, all these different things that can sound good, but but if we're not dealing with what's going on inside, there is no peace. There is no peace. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that brings peace. And we need to run to resolve conflict, sin, so we can truly know peace. We don't know when he's coming back. So we need to go off to peace now. We need to be dressed and ready for peace now. And you may have also heard of a statement called blood is thicker than water, right? You can't divide family. Blood is thicker than water. And, and it's a very true statement that blood is, is thicker than water and family is so important. And But Jesus talks about here, he gives this image of this divided family. And in Matthew 12, he also talks about this point where there's conflict and, and, and he says, you who believe are my mother's brothers, fathers and sisters and, and all that. And, and, and it's a, a weird statement. It's a weird thing to read. Is he saying disregard by family? No, no of course not. In fact, our relationship with God should make us love our family all the more. In a better, more selfless way than we ever have. But what he's saying is he's saying when these two things, faith and blood, are trying to pull in two different directions, which one gets the most traction? Which one pulls us the most? That that it can be easy to let families, those close to us, influence us. We want to compromise our faith to have peace in this relationship. You may have experienced that, where I just want peace, and you tended to compromise faith. I won't bring up the Bible ever again, okay? Maybe I'll just go to church on Sunday, I won't go to midweek, I won't go to the family group, I'll just do the bare minimum, so there's peace. It's, it's easy to let those things get in the way, but Jesus is actually saying, you know what? In a sense, water is thicker than blood. When you're born of water and spirit. 
That, that, that means that, that you love your family more and more and you want to bring them into God's family. That, that we, we can't compromise our faith. And I think one great example, there's so many great examples out in the Birmingham church of this, but one great example I believe is, is Sue Hollywood. Obviously her husband isn't a, a disciple, but, and, but Sue has remained strong, faithful, persevering, and in the midst of trials that come from situations like that, remains so faithful. And has instilled that into her daughter, Amy who has been such a huge part of the teens ministry and we're going to miss her when she goes to university. But, and she's actually in London now doing the student internship with the London church. She's not even a student yet. And, and let's look at wow, the faith that is passed on by not compromising your faith. And prayerfully, that will have an impact on her husband as well. That that will have an impact on all our families who aren't necessarily Christians at this point. God blesses that uncompromising faith. That says, I will, I will give up some peace here for true peace that comes from God. That God blesses that. Let's be dressed and ready for peace. Church, let's be dressed and ready. Whether that be going after being, getting right with God, becoming a Christian, getting sin out of your life, recommitting to, to that call that, of Jesus as Lord, Let's go after peace, not in the way the world does it, but by being peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Let's, let's, ho- let's hold strong to our faith and relationship with God, no matter what trials and persecution it brings. Because Jesus will return, and when he comes, let him find the Birmingham church dressed and ready for his return. Amen.